0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: Mullinger Meets Canadians is brought to you by the Cape Breton Partnership. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edit Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. I'm very excited to be meeting one of Canadian comedy's hottest rising stars in just a few short moments. Clifton Cremo is a Mick stand-up comedian from Eskasoni First Nation. In just two short years, he's become a fixture on the Nova Scotia comedy scene through his fast-paced gags and thought-provoking, uncompromising material. Nothing is off-limits in a Clifton set, particularly when it comes to politics, family and his First Nations heritage. Clifton's unique outlook has caught the attention of the Halifax Comedy Festival, where he's scheduled to perform in October at Best of the Fest, as well as the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, who booked him for virtual fundraising events. He's also opened for Juno Award nominees Nick Nemeroff and Matt Wright. Whether he's on stage at a comedy club or a local bar or a theatre or even a funeral, yes, seriously, Clifton always brings the laughs. He's an incredible self-starter and a hugely driven individual who has gone out and created these opportunities in the Maritimes as a producer, in addition to excelling every night on stage. He recently hosted Tatafest, the Tatter Magoosh Festival, that also featured everyone's favourite New Brunswick rapper, Wolf Castle. Without further ado, let's meet Clifton. Clifton, it is so great to meet you, my friend. Yeah, it's great to meet you too, Uh yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me. Oh, not at all. Um, I mean, I've been watching lots of your stand-up recently and you are, A, you're hilarious and and it's truly, inc- no, well, honestly, it, it's incredible to me that you've only been doing it for a few years and yet you've got this kind of incredible ability to talk about very serious issues and important issues that need to be talked about, but you also managed to somehow make them both Thought-provoking and funny. Where do you think you got that talent from?
0: Uh, I, I wouldn't know if it's actually a talent, but you, you know, you you have these conversations in real life mm. with people that you're close with, and like you get kind of used to talking about it. Especially when there's the issues are so close to you. Especially like with my indigenous issues that I talk about. Mm. These are conversations that I've had. And I'm generally kind of a guy when it comes to comedy who just doesn't turn it off. Right. So it's, it's really <laughs> difficult to have a serious conversation with me. <laughs> so I'll be having a serious conversation about these topics, but then I'll make these quips and I'm like, oh, maybe I should write that down and do it on stage.
1: Wow. That's amazing. So that's essentially how you write your material is an inappropriate thought to kind of lighten the mood or to highlight something pops in your head and you say it and then that becomes the act.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, kind of. Amazing. I I try to write a whole bunch of different formats, but like when it comes to big issues, I I think about that. I try never to punch down, mm. obviously. Yeah. I try I try to be delicate when it comes to especially stuff like residential schools or stuff like that where yeah. it has affected so many people in such negative and big ways. I obviously don't want to disparage any victims, so mm. I'm always very careful and i i think i managed to pull it off
1: yeah definitely i mean this is what i found so fascinating about watching you is that i would be watching it and uh, laughing but also thinking and of course what i think i find so smart about it is that you could actually make someone who is bigoted think differently with your comedy but also as you rightly say no one can be Offended. There is nothing insensitive about what you're doing, which really is quite educational for people who say, Oh, that you can't joke about this, you can't joke about that. And it's like, Well, you can't punch down on those things. No, but you can certainly joke about them as you've proven.
0: Absolutely. And I feel that way about so many different subjects too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't want to punch down, you don't want to be bad to the victims, but these are conversations that need to be had. So a lot of the time post show, um, people will come up to me and we'll have these serious conversations. Like, you know, someone will come up to me and they'll give me a compliment. Oh, like you were, you were hilarious. And then they'll say what you said about this was very true. And then we'll start talking about the issue. And then it's no longer about jokes. It's about education. And I think that's part of my goal. When I tell jokes on these topics, it's like to start the dialogue and then maybe on the ride home, they'll talk about it with their spouse or they'll talk about it with whoever to just start the conversation
1: yeah I mean that's a really really powerful thing to be able to do and also as I say an incredible skill to have so early on in your career I mean it's really remarkable when I look at other comedians who ended up doing that kind of great comedy comedians like Dave Chappelle and and people that were able to talk about things that mattered for the first kind of five ten years their acts weren't that whereas um, you've kind of hit the ground running Tell me a bit about your upbringing. Were you around funny people growing up? And was humor something that you kind of did to cope with things? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think being First Nations, mm. being a native person myself, there are so many funny First Nations people, and it comes from that whole idea of coping or telling jokes to get by, make yeah. things funny, make things pleasant. So, so many people have this skill, and I'm sure you've heard that we're like, native people first nations people are kind of these like oral traditions uh mm. storytellers yeah so i think just naturally it's it's genetic yeah. maybe and like being around funny people my entire family are so funny except my dad my dad's kind of <laughs> got this uh my dad's kind of got this dry sense of humor where it's like he's he's the definition of dad jokes <laughs> Right. <laughs> and uh but yeah. my my grandfather lee cremo he was a a well-known fiddler in the area. He had this great sense of humor and that's what people would talk about. I'll meet some old person who went to like dances that he played and they'll be like, oh yeah, Lee was so funny. (laughs) And then we'll have a conversation and they're like, you remind me of your grandfather because (laughs) we have that same kind of sense of humor. And that passed down to my mother and my uncle and they're virtually the people who raised me my entire life. So I kind of got this sense of humor from that side of the family. Amazing. Yeah.
1: And that's really beautiful. And it's true what you say that the way in which, you know, First Nations peoples are depicted by the media and by, you know, TV and film, it hasn't kind of led people to picture it like that. There's always been, you know, stereotypes and all of these things. And yet, our mutual friend Wolf Castle described the exact same thing. Tristan said that growing up, he was surrounded by incredibly creative people who actually were so funny and also so encouraging of creative fields, which isn't something... That's not something really anywhere in the world. I mean, certainly when I was growing up and I said I wanted to be a comedian, absolutely no one encouraged me. Um, <laughs> you know, absolutely no one, well, some people still don't think it's a good idea. Um, but, you know, um, how, uh, can you tell me a bit about the kind of point at which you kind of realized that this was something that you wanted to do and how you were able to kind of take those first steps onto the stage?
0: In terms of doing stand-up comedy, it was never something that I actually wanted to do I guess it was never a goal it was never like a that's what I want to be when I grow up for mm-hmm. sure uh, it's just something that kind of fell into my lap I've had we talked about the supports that I've had with my parents but there there have been so many others mm-hmm. and the way I got into stand-up comedy it's kind of just a, a funny story I went to improv camp when I was a kid and one of the camp counselors there James FW Thompson mm-hmm. really funny guy really great person I decided that I wanted to catch up with him as an adult so I, I looked him up on Facebook, and I saw that he was doing a, a stand-up comedy night. So I was like, "Oh, I'll just instead of sending him a Facebook message, I'll go to this stand-up night <laughs> and talk to him in person." And then when I was there, I was just like, "Maybe I should try this. Like, maybe I should get on stage, try to impress him."
1: Amazing. <laughs> and, uh,
0: yeah, but as far as encouragement in the community, uh, it's been really great. Mm-hmm. there are so many supports within the community people who want to see you succeed there are people who want to see you fail too because <laughs> let's face it that's funny <laughs> yeah that's true that's true and it
1: also drives us it pushes us yeah. to be better and and do more <laughs> yeah that's that's amazing but tell me about that first gig then so you ended up on the stage you gave it a go talk me through that night and how that went
0: so I had just come from my friends, Ashley and, uh, Bradley, mm-hmm. they organized squish basketball, which is kind of like LGBT ally friendly basketball because, you know, oh. just a fun sport just nice. for fun. And after that, we decided to go to Daniel's the bar where the comedy was at. And I know they're super supportive people. Obviously they're running a uh, LGBT friendly yeah. <laughs> uh, basketball league. Right. I knew they were super supportive. And I was with some friends here from Escazoni here and, it's one thing to know you're super supportive friends, but it's also another thing to have the friends you've known your whole life who are going to uh, make fun of you right. <laughs> if, if and when you fail. Yeah. So I asked my friends from Escazoni, I was like, can you guys leave while I try this? <laughs> <laughs> Just so you've got no ammo on me after. Yeah. And did they? And yeah, they left. Like, oh, nice. They, they were... They were so supportive. They left the room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. That is nice. Because as you say, that is the terrible thing when you're starting out is bombing in front of people, you know, and it's hard enough anywhere, let alone in a small community when literally everyone knows everyone.
0: Yeah, it will definitely become the talk of the town <laughs> if you tried and failed. Right. Um, and else, But the other good thing is that it becomes the talk of the town if you try and you succeed and you get that support moving forward.
1: Absolutely. So
0: um, I've I've been lucky in that way that I have a supportive community here
1: you've hit the nail on the head there it's funny I mean that that's literally exactly my experience kind of leaving London and moving to New Brunswick was if you are willing to get out there and do shows and work hard and do well the word will spread quickly which in a bigger place the word spreads a lot slower and of course again I mean as you say it works both ways if you in a bigger city you know I mean I always say this in England there's a lot of people that are shit at their jobs from comedians (laughs) to plumbers to whatever getting away with it for a long time because obviously everyone doesn't know everyone but also no one talks because they're all a bunch of miserable bastards over there but um (laughs) whereas here in the maritimes i mean everyone talks and and as a result if you do bad or you do anything bad in life the word spreads but if you do well and people like what you do the word spreads fast and that's that's what's happened to you i mean that must have been a wonderful thing to see and feel so early on in your career people were talking about it and telling their friends and as a result i mean as i understand it you you put on your own shows as well as getting other bookings as well yeah you, mm. you
0: kind of have to here in Cape yeah. Town put on your own shows that yeah. is like it it's a very thin market for stand-up we have a, a small scene here mm. but it's not incredibly active i'm the most active person in it right? so you have to put together those shows to get the experience otherwise you're not going to get it and like that's another thing that now that I'm talking about it with you mm. or with Sarah or with whoever else, every time I have this conversation, mm. I kind of realize that, you know, in a place like Halifax or, or London or mm. New York City, you get so many opportunities yep. to get on stage. Like Halifax has like five, five, to, yeah, five mics a week, mm. five open mics. And like in New York, people will talk about doing five in one night Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's it. all week. And like I was at the peak of activity in Cape Breton here, I was getting one mic a week. Right. So I was effectively five times less experienced than anyone else in Halifax. Yeah. So it, it also kind of, uh, that kind of pushed my writing. Uh, I feel like a lot of people have the luxury of testing out a bit on stage. If it doesn't work, let's change a tag. Let's add a tag. Mm. Let's do all this stuff. But with me, I feel like I have to bring it to the stage already mm. polished because this is my one chance.
1: Right. That's a really, really interesting way of looking at it. And, and you're right. I mean, that is such a huge part of being a comedian in this region is you can't mess up once you really have to it makes our writing process a lot more meticulous. But before we get up there, and I've never really heard it put like that before, but you're absolutely spot on. And then of course, the other thing is, is that because you, the same people are potentially coming the next week, you then need to turn over a whole new set by the following week. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was a a big thing early on in my career, uh, early on in my, I'm still early on in my career. But, uh, when I first started, I felt like the audience was the same every week. It was always the regulars at Daniel's or the regulars at the curling club where we had our open mics, (laughs) just the same few people or, and my uncle and my parents. Um, so I always felt like I had to have a new five minutes every time. So I wrote so, so much material and a lot of it I haven't revisited, but then I've been listening to podcasts with more experienced comics and they're like, yeah, your first two years, you should just be working on getting a solid five minutes. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> And, and, and it's
0: like, oh, I have three hours here. I don't
1: know how much of it is solid. but like. It's amazing, though, what you learn in this region when you're starting out in this region or, or indeed at any level. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been doing it for many years in London when I came here, but basically had to start over, started over with a whole new act and had to learn how to do things differently. I mean, as you put it, like for the average comedian in a Toronto or Montreal or London, uh, 90 percent of the gigs they get come to them either by a booking agent or by a club chain or whatever whereas close to 100 percent of what we do we have to make happen ourselves it's us doing it and i think it kind of teaches a a unique kind of hustle and a a unique work ethic which again is a very maritime Thing anyway having that work ethic but I think it's an amazing thing to be able to build all that material there's no doubt that you're going to you're going to break out and be hugely successful at this because you've got a a unique talent and then suddenly when everyone's wanting you for different things you can go they'll go what have you got 15 minutes and you go no I've got 10 hours (laughs) (laughs) I've got 10 hour long tours ready to go I mean that's a a great position to be in (laughs)
0: yeah yeah I've been like. With all the shows that I've been doing recently, like the reason I'm doing the shows recently, by the way, is I work in the school, Mm. so I have the summer off. So it's the only time I can really get on the road without having to get back in the morning kind of thing. So having that kind of.
1: your tenacity and drive is so visible and i just think that's a really really wonderful thing that being a comedian anywhere you need that being a comedian especially in canada you need it let alone in atlantic canada and i just think a lot of people could learn a lot from the way that you've gone out there and really pushed yourself creatively while also learning this thing stand up which let's face it most people agree is a bloody difficult thing to do i mean it's the everyone you know people come up to us right and say you know I could never do what you do and then you say well, what do you do and they go oh I'm a fireman and you're like well hang on a minute <laughs> like guess what <laughs> mate I, I, I guess what I, I I probably it's a lot easier telling a, a dick joke on stage than it is climbing through a window into a burning building but thank you for the you know compliment <laughs> it's uh it's a crazy thing but that said you have to learn all of these things right and that's what you're doing
0: yeah I'd say that it's Probably one of the bigger barriers here too is that you have to kind of be a self-starter and you have to push to book your own shows and all of that. There's not just a pre-built scene for you. And that's kind of intimidating, especially something that I found like I don't have many credits to my name. I mean, I'm getting there Mm. now. But booking shows early on, it's like you're emailing a bar or you're emailing a, a brewery or a venue, mm. and they're like, who the hell are you? And you're like, uh, I don't know, I'm some guy.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <That's, yeah. laughs> I'm just I'm, hope, hoping you'll take the chance, you know?
1: Yeah. That's part of it, though, isn't it? Is that the ones that do take the chance, you go there, you do a great job, they want you back, and gradually the audience is built. I mean, it's a, I always say that to people. that I think what I love so much about working in comedy on this side of the country is that there really is no shortcuts. Hard work is the only way to do it. There's no tricking your way in here. Like there's no agent calling in a favour saying, well, you can have my, this act, if you give this act a shot. There's none of that because we we don't have a comedy industry per se. It is simply just people going up on a stage, doing jokes. If people like it, they come again and they get booked again. And if they don't, they don't. I mean, it's arguably the most organic and real place to do any type of performing arts.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like speaking as a as a booker, yeah. you want to put together the best shows that you can so that these venues will have you back and that you can keep doing those shows and keep having that revenue stream. And then part of that is kind of uh being a snob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you have to. I've got a lot of friends in the scene and like I'm I'm not saying that any of them are like bad comics but a lot of different styles right where it's like okay this person would not work on this lineup so i can't have them
1: yes yes and
0: then you start feeling like a a shitty friend but then it's just not personal
1: totally and i mean again you hit the nail on the head i mean i've had similar things here i mean i used to book a lot more kind of mixed bill shows five or six acts on the bill, and yeah i would have people getting annoyed with me for not booking them i mean again a lot of the time the people getting annoyed were the ones that actually didn't ask and it was like well people say how did you get this how did you get that job and I'm like well I asked like I mean I send out 200 emails a day and maybe two turn into something but it was a weird thing I would have people complaining that I wasn't booking them and as you say I mean you have to do what's right for the show I mean for instance if you are doing a show in an environment where it needs to be clean there are some acts that will not be appropriate for that and as you say I mean you can't play favorites you just have to do what's right because again it comes back to that thing where you have one dud show people's time is precious and also in the maritimes there's a shitload of other things that people could be doing they could be sitting on the beach they could be watching their kids play hockey they could be not wasting money on a babysitter they could be just getting shit-faced in the garden i mean let's face it that's that that's that's my favorite hobby i mean like so (laughs) when you get people out if they come out to your show and there's anything about it they don't like, or you kind of booked the wrong act for it, it's going to be impossible to get them back again.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, my other thing too, though, is if you ask, I will not deny you. Right. Um, <laughs> if, if someone reaches, like I've had people reach out like, hey, Clifton, I want to do a show in Cape Breton, yeah. or do you have any shows coming up? I'd like to make a trip. I will go out of my way to put them on the lineup.
1: Nice. At some point, you know, like you'll find a way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure.
1: I read an interview with you and again I don't know this is exactly what you meant but you kind of talked about doing this full time and, and, and all the rest of it and, and you expressed this kind of thought that you felt you would may have to move somewhere like Montreal to make that happen but to my mind seeing what you've done on Cape Breton and seeing how you could easily replicate that model across Nova Scotia across the Maritimes and indeed across the rest of Canada I don't know that you would need to move to Montreal in my opinion.
0: Maybe not, but i I do feel like it would help my growth as a writer,
1: right, um, yeah,
0: I've done a couple of I'll say shows, but like open mics in mm-hmm. in like New York and Boston, mm-hmm. and my material falls kind of flat there because they don't give a f about indigenous issues in Canada
1: right right, <laughs>
0: and like it works here and it works in Canada, but like I'd like to kind of broaden my spectrum. That's kind of one of the things that when getting started that I was concerned about I don't know if you've ever heard of Don Bernstick.
1: No, I don't know if I have, no.
0: Don Bernstick is an indigenous comic, mm. and um, he does a lot of good stuff. He comes to the res- reservations. He does a lot of fundraising work for youth uh, across the country. He goes to all these reserves. He does stand-up, and he's doing all these great things, but I always felt like that was all he did, right. you know, and it was like he could branch out. Mm. And, I mean, he was the only indigenous comic I saw growing up. I know there are a lot of great indigenous comics now, But, like, he was the only one I was familiar with. And it was like, if I ever did comedy, I would not want to be pigeonholed into only doing that. Right. So, like, I always try to add some extra jokes into my set outside of the Indigenous material to prove that I've got stuff, (laughs) I guess.
1: Very smart. And, again, I mean, you're, you're thinking about this long term, which is exactly, as you rightly say, I mean... When I'm performing in New Brunswick, all of my jokes are not only about here, but in, in a lot of cases, very specific. Like, I mean, again, if I'm doing a gig in St. John, I'll be talking about specific people that everyone knows. It might be a local mayor, might be you know, specific streets, which, of course, as you say, isn't going to work elsewhere. But, I mean, what you've just described is absolutely spot on. You get on the road and you go to places and you hone you different sets for different places. And just because, yeah, as you rightly say, you never want to feel pigeonholed, right? You want to be able yeah. to do the shows that you want to do where you want to do them and have solid bits for all of those places.
0: Yeah, I did a Zoom show. Mm. My my first ever Zoom show. Nice. It was sponsored by Winnipeg Comedy Festival doing a fundraiser for Fearless R2W, Manitoba-based child welfare agency, organization. Cool. And I didn't know whether, because it's a Zoom show, I should like, should I try to do some local Winnipeg (laughs) Manitoba material, but this is the internet. Like, (laughs) we could have audience members from anywhere.
1: Right. Yeah. It's tricky. How did that go? How did you find the Zoom gig?
0: It was better than I expected. I've been reluctant to do Zoom gigs throughout this whole thing. Part of it is because I just didn't want to, like, finally give up (laughs) (laughs) On on the idea of doing shows in person and stuff like that. I wanted to hold out hope. Yeah. Um, so I, I've always been kind of hesitant, like even in the beginning of the whole pandemic, I didn't buy masks until they were made mandatory, <laughs> yeah. uh, all of that stuff. Like it was just like, it seems pretty bleak to make wardrobe decisions <laughs> based on the end of the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, so true. And as you say, we just didn't want, We none of us wanted to admit that this This shit was happening because also we're in the business of trying to pack as many people into tiny rooms as possible and stand on a stage and uh, ask the entire audience to elicit like uh, particles from their mouths into the air. I mean, it's basically the least popular job to have in a pandemic. (laughs)
0: yeah but it's also the most popular because people need to laugh through this shit you know
1: right (laughs) right exactly so true and it's the number one job that everyone wanted to come back which again i mean like you at the beginning i i resisted virtuals uh, but i visited for a couple of months and then eventually did one and now i mean i've actually probably done more about 50 or 60 now and have oddly now started to actually enjoy it in a weird way. Like, I mean, obviously, the audience are muted, but I can see them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I quite like about them is that, and I was I did a live show on, uh, like an in-person show last week, and there was this guy in the front row on his phone the whole night, and I'm just sitting there looking at his phone, and it was really, really bugging me. And I realized that what I like about a Zoom show is, obviously, if there's a 100 or 200, whatever, 1,000 people on, on a Zoom gig, you, you can only get 20 on a page they're muted but i can obviously see them and i'm watching them laugh if i get a, a page of duds and the people are just sat there not enjoying it i can scroll through and find a page of laughers whereas in a live gig i can't pick this asshole up and move him to the back of the room so uh th- 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 there were small benefits to this
0: yeah I, I think i'm too self-absorbed on stage to notice if someone's on their phone oh really like <laughs> It actually best case scenario would be they're on their phone looking at funny memes and then i can just pretend they're laughing at me yeah
1: you know? that's, yeah, that's a good yeah it's it and, and again i mean it's one of those things if someone's on their phone as long as if they're laughing doesn't matter if they're laughing at us or equally if they're tweeting how great we are and how much they're enjoying our act that's fine too yeah <laughs> yeah we're okay with that this show is brought to you by the cape breton partnership The Cape Breton Partnership aims to transform Cape Breton Unamagi into the most creative and prosperous place on earth. Visit capebretonpartnership.com to discover why this island is a great place to live, work, study and invest. We are growing a culture that values and celebrates creativity, innovation and entrepreneurship. So what's next for you? What do you feel like are the, are the next things that you want to do, that you want to achieve? And, you know, how can people listening kind of uh, find out about your shows and stuff?
0: What's next for me is hmm. uh, I'm not sure. I'd like to keep doing shows. I'd like to stay busy. Hmm. Um, and hopefully, like like we said, with this pandemic and all that stuff, the the Delta variant and everything coming our way, that we can continue to do live shows. Like I, like I said, I, I did have an enjoyable time on Zoom, but I do prefer live yeah. for sure. So I want to keep doing shows. I want to keep booking shows. And like the tough part is like working in the school, I only really have weekends now to travel. Mm-hmm. And that means I can only book two gigs at a time, basically. Right. And then I'd have to plan super far in advance. And that's not the type of person I am. I'm, I'm very much. A, <laughs> let's just like when I wake up, I'll text you what I want to do that day <laughs> as opposed to what I want to do next Thursday, you know? Um, so I'm always like that, but I'd like to keep booking shows, but I also have to kind of temper my expectations that it's not going to be as active as this summer was for me. Mm -hmm. I can book Cape Breton shows, but then you saturate the market. And then instead of having one good show, you have two very mediocre shows, you know, Right. but in terms of finding out where I'm going next, it's, uh, If you're a listener and you'd like to see me, I'm most active on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to follow. I usually post images with uh, various celebrities with tour dates on them.
1: Nice. Nice. I mean, again, this is one of the things that's just impressed me so much. Learning about all that you do is is you know how to put on a great show. You know how to perform a fantastic act. But you're also amazing at, at marketing. I mean, was there someone advising you for any of this? Or did all of this kind of come naturally to you?
0: There was no advising it kind of come naturally. You can see on social media what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And you just kind of learn by watching mm-hmm. my job here at the school. I'm the communications officer. That's a bit more bland. Like we don't have a cool like Wendy's Twitter thing going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not on the Twitter like, being funny, yeah. which would be a great use for me. I think, but <laughs> I'm not allowed. Unfortunately, I have to just post the boring stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, But important information that people want to know. So you kind of figure out, you figure out what time of day to post things, like weird things like that. You just learn through experience. And it's kind of like lightning in a bottle, my own personal or like comedy, this stuff. My friend Ardell, we do trivia together. She came to the show Mm -hmm. that I had in Glace Bay, wrote the article that you you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. and uh, kind of picked up some steam there. and, And like, it's just kind of been organic, really.
1: It's really amazing. And uh, I know you've got like a very cool show coming up at the Highland Arts Theatre in Sydney, Halifax Comedy Festival, Best of the Fest with Pete Zedlacher and Leonard Chan and and our mutual dear friend, the great Travis Lindsay. I mean, uh, it's really wonderful to see all of your success coming and the fact that you have this drive to kind of uh, make it something even bigger. And uh, I can't wait to see you live when we're all allowed to travel around again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, we should do some shows together, you know? We'll, we'll do a little tour. We'll uh, we'll do it the the indigenous and the colonizer. How about I that? like
1: <laughs> it. I like it. That is a, that is, that has got legs. That is it. that is the name of a tour right there. Consi- <laughs> con- consider it done, my friend. And again, I mean that alone sums up. Like I say, what I love so much about your act is being able to just make brilliant jokes about things that traditionally no one should or would think about laughing about when you do sit and write your act do you ever shy away from bits that are just funny or uh, do you want them to be meaning behind every bit or is it you're you're basically or the or the gag is the is the is the goal Oh, no, absolutely Mm, not. There mm, there doesn't have to be meaning mm, behind every bit. mm, Like
0: I've written so many stupid jokes. um, mm, And mm -hmm. one of the things about my writing style, like just generally, uh, I can kind of Mm. capture different voices. Mm -hmm. So like uh, I grew up listening to Weird Al. Uh, My Uncle Tim gave me a Weird Al CD when I was seven years old. And I've just fell in love with Weird Al, the the whole parody aspect of it. And writing stuff like that Mm -hmm. by, by growing up with it and hearing it. I feel like I'm able to write in other people's voices. So I, I feel like I'd be useful in a writer's room, you know, maybe, <laughs> hmm. but I, I write so many different things. Like I write poetry outside of jokes. I write short stories, that kind of thing, just to keep my brain going. But a lot of the jokes that I do write down in my notes there's absolutely no meaning to it. And they're so dumb. <laughs> like some stuff will never, ever see the stage just because it's embarrassing. But I do write it.
1: Hey, you got to try it though, because you just never know, right? I mean, Seinfeld always said that when he sits down and writes jokes in the afternoon to test that night, the stuff he thinks is good bombs and the stuff he thinks is terrible and he thinks I'm not going to do that, but then just thinks oh, I'll try it. And that ends up getting the big laughs. We just never know, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, you, you do never know. And yeah. then sometimes like it actually kind of bothers me when I write a joke and I'll throw in like a throwaway tag just to, you know, keep up the, the laughs per minute. I'll throw in a A throwaway tag and then that gets like more laughs than the one that I intended like (laughs) that that kind of bothers me
1: hey yeah I mean it's one of those things though isn't it it's like it doesn't matter where the laugh comes from I mean I last week I was doing a show it's about 250 300 people and I again it was like one of those funny things where I live in a smallest area so lots of people are coming to see me for the umpteenth time so I'm trying to obviously I want them to have a honed show but at the same time I want to be testing new stuff so that people leave feeling yeah every time they come it's slightly different and I did a joke about anti-vaxxers and it it just Bombed didn't didn't get anything, mm-hmm. and I said, well, I said, look, I've got to test new stuff. If I don't test new stuff, I can't stay fresh. And I said, I'm, buy a ticket to see me at the Imperial Theatre in April. By then, that joke will have been workshopped, honed to perfection. So you can sit in that audience and you can say, I saw that joke when it was shit, <laughs> and that got a bigger, that got a massive laugh. And I'm like, okay, so there we go. Uh, because I did a, a, a joke that bombed, but and then improv something. That improv line is now something I will probably use again. When I'm testing a new joke that bombs,
0: yeah, yeah, that that's that's something you 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 can always, well, not always, but like addressing the joke that bombs or doing doing something improv to kind of address it, and that that gets laughs. Mm-hmm. It almost makes you like, oh, I want to bomb again, so that I can, <laughs> yeah. I can see if this one works every time.
1: That, that, that's exactly.
0: Obviously, that shouldn't be your goal to bomb.
1: But I think the skill is it's the fact of referencing the situation, like. Never ignoring what's happening in the room, and because yeah. yeah, the audience can smell that as a as inexperience. It's kind of like if there's a, a big glass breaks or a, a car drives past, or there's some big noise, or, or anything happens in the room, the audience take it as a sign of inexperience when the comic just keeps plowing on and doesn't reference it.
0: Yeah, the way I would put it, I'd say, is that your job as a comedian. You're you're the master of funny. Hmm. And if you don't realize when something's unfunny, how can the audience
1: trust you anymore? So true.
0: If you can address it, at least they know, oh, well, at least we can still trust him. He knows. But if you don't address it, they'll lose their trust in you. But if you have to address it too often, like if all of your jokes are falling flat and you keep addressing it, it's also going to drag you down. Like at a certain point, you have to kind of stop addressing it and just... Hmm ride out the bomb
1: i think yeah that's true you have to, in that situation you have to ride out the bomb if it's just one that's not landing it has to be referenced or also i mean i remember about 15 years ago doing an open spot at the comedy store in london and after it was supposed to be a 10 minute spot it was my first time doing a saturday night there i'd done a few thursdays that had gone well i've been bumped up to the saturday got booed off after about seven minutes and uh, as i came off stage uh, the mc came on and just started annihilating me just like tearing strips off me <laughs> to the audience. And of course in hysterics and even at the time even there kind of well, early into my career I remember realizing why he was doing it and it was very simple it was because when he brought me onto the stage it was his role as the MC is to keep the room together and to keep the show moving and the audience need to trust him and when he brought me up he said your next act you're gonna absolutely love him put your hands together James Mullinger the fact is they didn't love me they hated me so he needed to show to them that he was still theirs And that he wasn't some idiot that thought that the garbage they just watched was any good. So I kind of... Yeah, yeah. I understood what he was doing. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and like, if you bomb and no one addresses it, like if the host doesn't address it or you don't address it, then like, you're a black spot on the show. But if if you can be made fun of and if it doesn't hurt you too much, if you can be roasted like that, then you've brought... (laughs) <laughs> your badness has brought some light to the audience at
1: least <laughs> yes that's true that's a lovely way of putting it your badness has brought some light to the audience I love that <laughs> that is beautiful <laughs> absolutely beautiful um I haven't
0: been I mean I've never been booed off the stage mm-hmm. I, I've I've talked about this before where mm-hmm. I've been pretty fortunate in that I haven't had too many bombs mm-hmm. but the biggest show I ever did was the Time that I bombed. <laughs> I did a corporate gig and there was like 300, 350 people in the room. Mm-hmm. It was a combination of everything. Like, none of the audience members gave a shit that right. there was a comic. Right. They all just wanted to hang out with their co workers and like the sound in the room because it was a big room, big enough to hold 350 people, but not really designed
1: right. to perform
0: right. in. <laughs> like, it was just all bad. And like, I was just standing up on stage and I'd have, after you tell a joke, you expect laughter or applause and there's like a little break there mm-hmm. that you expect but then nobody was laughing or applauding so <laughs> I was just like standing on stage drinking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing yeah I, I, I had one like that I did a, a corporate in England once for a, a estate agents or I guess realtors they are called it it was just literally 400 people just talking to each other like not even acknowledge, like even when I was introduced n- no one clapped no one it wasn't like they looked up and then gradually kind of fell away from me they just ignored mm-hmm. me from the second I went out there and I was contracted to do 45 minutes and I was not going to get paid unless I did 45 minutes so I started off attempting it like I, I really did like attempt it and I was going come on guys come on and, and, and tried everything just tried doing the act tried getting louder it, it was getting nowhere in the end I was 15 minutes I, I just basically started walking up and down the stage going bah, 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 da, 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 just just talk talking gibberish into the mic but and again they still ignore me but uh you know i mean yeah. You know, if you can cope with that walking up and down the stage is you're completely ignored it, it sets you up well for what this business throws at you yeah <laughs> Tell for sure, it. I've ne- I've
0: never tried gibberish. No,
1: hey. um, sometimes I mean this this situation. I just thought there was literally no point in me speaking words at this point. But uh, I hope that never happens to you. I mean, again, and and this is I mean, it, it can of course happen anywhere. But I mean, English audiences aren't notoriously uh, difficult. And I mean, of course, not all the time. And this was a unique situation. But. Um, but I, I do find generally Canadian audiences and specifically Maritime's audiences love to laugh. And I think my big surprise when I moved here was just discovering that people came out to comedy to have a good time and laugh. Whereas in England, people go out to comedy just to ruin the comedian's night. So uh, this, this is a, a much nicer place to be for sure.
0: Yeah, we have some of the best crowds mm. uh, here in Cape Breton. I don't, have you done many shows here or any shows uh,
1: here? Some. Um, I've done a few. I'm just trying to think where they were both corporates i think but um i mean again i mean such a beautiful place and there's so many uh, musicians and comedians from cape brain it it just has a intrinsically creative and as you say funny vibe and as you say i mean the people there just are out for a good time there's no pretension there yeah
0: yeah Mm. that's really great like Mm. i rate our our audiences as some of the best Mm. uh we had I've mentioned the open mics mm-hmm. here a few times, but like the crowd there was always very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've done open mics in Halifax where like the crowd is just there to do other things right. that they, they, <laughs> they, they do not want to be there. But like we had kind of like a dedicated people who wanted to see live comedy weekly yeah. um, coming. So that was, that was really great. And like the wealth of talent, mm-hmm. not just in Cape Breton, but in the, in the Maritimes, mm-hmm. like musically, I have so many people who are just so amazing and a lot of them like, we all want to see each other succeed. My. And I think that's great. Like not just comics to comics, but comics to musicians. Like I've had friends who are musicians want me to MC their shows and stuff okay. like that. And like, I'm very happy to do it because they're great.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is there's real crossover here in that respect. Because we don't have a, a kind of this booming entertainment industry per se, we can kind of carve our own way in this way. No one's saying you can't do that. You can't have a, a musician and a, and a comedian co-headline a show because we can do what we want here. And as you say, it's a, and what you mentioned, I mean, I totally agree about the way in which we're all supporting each other because it, not that we're not competitive, we're, but we're competitive with ourselves. Like, I don't want to try and beat another comedian at this. I want to beat myself at this. I want to be better than I was last night. And I find it incredibly kind of warming in that respect, this thing that we've all kind of built here.
0: You, you hit the nail right on the head. You, you just want to improve. You mm. want to see others improve. And, like, it, 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 it would be amazing if we could all continue to improve we don't have to be better than each other it would be awesome Mm -hmm. if we could go to just for laughs or or something Mm -hmm. and have a halifax showcase or a nova scotia showcase or like a Maritimes showcase just because we're all doing so well i mean obviously that would be a very niche market for them to (laughs) try to book a show to but It would be
1: awesome. But yeah, but I think the thing is, is because Maritimers are all over the country, Joel Plaskett said that to me, that he, Joel Plaskett felt that the reason that he found success out West quite early on in his career was because he would go there and do a show. All the Maritimers or former Maritimers who had moved away would say to their friends, You've got to go and see this guy, he's one of ours. And I mean I certainly I think the only reason that I can sell out rooms in British Columbia is simply because people from New Brunswick have told friends there or people from here have moved there. And so it's it's interesting how the the kind of tentacles of the maritime spread quite widely. It's just funny, I just remembered where two of the gigs that I've done on Cape Breton, one was uh, at the Member Two Convention Centre with a comedian called Mark Walker. It was the first anniversary of me moving here, so I remember it was the 14th of february 2015 absolutely magical magical night and then a couple of years later me and dan hendrick and ian black did one in port hawkesbury in a community hall there and uh, again both those shows undoubtedly two of the most uh, electric shows I- i've ever done so uh, i mean partly because of the amazing those guys i'm sure you know da- dan and ian in- incredible uh, incredible comedians who um just kind of bring a real electricity to any any show and i'm again but both of those shows i remember being there and just thinking there are not many clubs in new york or toronto or london right now where the audience is as alive and we're all having this shared experience that is that is so you know people just falling about laughing you know and just this kind of amazing there's nothing like it and uh there's no cynicism i find and i love that i love that about east coast audiences
0: actually the first show mm-hmm. that i went to mm-hmm. as an audience member after i started doing stand-up was in iona dan Hendrickson was on it uh, uh, ian black wasn't mm-hmm. uh, it was but it was dan travis Lindsay, and nick martinello and uh, it was just like so cool seeing such great stand-up from it, relatively local people it, it was very encouraging yeah that they could put on such a good show it's a it's, big part of why i wanted
1: to continue oh uh, it's beautiful Well, as I say, I mean, I can't wait for us to hit the road and I can't wait to see you and hang with you. I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask on a kind of a a serious note is, do you feel like with this year's devastating revelations about residential schools, this is going to change anything? Like, do you think that now it's going to make a difference to people demanding solutions and answers from the government or is is it all lip service is is this a turning point for all of us
0: it's tough to say it really Mm. is the revelation aspect of it is not a revelation to our people right right a good point these these are stories that we've had Mm. our entire lives Mm. these are it's not way back in the past it's my grandmother it's it's some people, some of my friends' parents. Mm. It's very, very new. And it's conversations that we have had. Uh, like I went to school here in Eskizoni. And that was like part of our education in Mi'kmaq class. They'd bring in an elder, you know, to speak to us. And they would talk about residential school. Mm. And it's almost kind of shocking to find out now as an adult that not everyone got that. Right. Not everyone got that kind of education about it. And hopefully moving forward that there is more education, more conversations about it. But with the way news media and attention spans work, a lot of people are already forgetting. Mm -hmm. And that's a big reason why I do the jokes on stage that I start these conversations. We're on Zoom right now. You saw that I'm wearing an orange shirt. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, Mm -hmm. I don't wear it every day, but like whenever I'm doing some kind of event, Mm I want people to see it just so it's somewhere in the back of their mind, yeah. you know, to keep these conversations moving because people will forget. And like in terms of is it going to provide actionable things? Who knows? Because the people who are having the conversations right now are incredible allies. They are incredible people like Native people and allies across are having these conversations. But when it is coming from the government or from people who have kind of a way to action yeah it's yet to be determined if it's going to be lip service right and uh, unfortunately trending so far it does seem to be lip service you you know you see i mean i don't want to get too political but you'll you'll have someone mp or a a prime minister mention these things Mm. but then continue to fight indigenous children in court to uh fight against moderate livelihood fisheries Hmm. to keep pushing us down while saying they're not. So it's like, hopefully that can change. But it's been a tough uh, 400 years. (laughs) it's, It's hard to see the end of the tunnel when you've been digging for 400 years.
1: Right. Absolutely spot on. And What is so just awful about the situation is that people just only learning about this now when they've been being told for decades that this happened indigenous peoples have been shouting about it it's not like as you say it was never a secret and yet only now are people suddenly actually aware and it's like five minutes of people saying oh that's terrible and government kind of coming on tv and looking sad about it but then through their actions actually proving that nothing's changed
0: yeah absolutely Yeah. I I read a book. It's a book by Cliff Nesteroff about indigenous comics. And it's basically kind of like almost an autobiography of Charlie Hill. Mm -hmm. And um, just seeing all of the issues that he was pushing and all these other trailblazers of indigenous comedy were pushing years and years ago in the 60s, 70s, seeing the activism that he was doing with the American Indian movement, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. It's the same problems from the sixties right. that are, that are still happening today. So it's like, people have been talking about this mm-hmm. on public stages. I'm, I'm definitely not the first and I definitely hope I'm not the last. Mm. Um, but like, hopefully I can be one of the loudest mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that, that would, that would be nice. Yeah If, if, uh, if the message can reach more people and, The more people that you reach with the message the more likely it is that people are going to take action and we we are seeing some of that and that that is good so uh, on the grassroots level i'm i'm hopeful but on the governmental level i'm not
1: right Uh, yeah and and unfortunately it's just the nature of the beast with government but as you say the grassroots level is 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 where it's real and it's where different real difference has always been made on that level so um you know, as you say, we just have to keep doing that and um, and keep keep fighting the good fight, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, listen, mate, I, I can't thank you enough, Clifton, for, for taking the time to, to talk to me. Um, and uh, it's been a real, real honor to to get to know you and hear your insights. And um, I, I salute you, my friend. You're a, you're a great man, a great comic, and uh, can't wait for us to uh to do the uh, to do the fantastically named tours both of them <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah uh same to you same to you uh everything you just said you're a fantastic man fast fantastic comic thank you for talking to me uh this was this is a real treat and i i look forward to the tours
1: as well awesome happy days my friend have a have a wonderful evening and uh, we will speak again soon yeah we'll talk to you later Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. This show is brought to you by the Cape Breton Partnership. They are connecting entrepreneurs and companies to the resources they need to succeed on the amazing island of Cape Breton. Visit capebretonpartnership.com for more information on how you can improve your life and business by investing in Cape Breton Island. Be sure to follow Clifton on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at CliftonCremo and subscribe now to his YouTube channel. He has numerous shows coming up, including at CC's Entertainment Centre in Elsipogtog First Nation, New Brunswick on the 25th of September and also at the Highland Arts Theatre in Sydney, Nova Scotia on October the 15th. He's also appearing at the Atlantica Hotel as part of Halifax's Best of the Fest tour on October the 29th. He's a busy guy. He's doing great things. Be sure to check out a show soon. Further details can be found on the edit website, maritimeedit.com, and I will see you next time.
0: Podstarter. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.